0: find a great blessing this morning. Those who are just hearing the audio are going to miss some of the visuals, but that's okay. I'll uh, tell you what I'm doing as we go along. This is John chapter 7, and I'm going to be reading verses 2, 14, and verse 37. These are important verses, and here we go. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. That's verse 2, verse 14. And about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up. Into the temple and taught. In verse 37, on the last day of the feast, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I ask of your word today and all the things that you've promised to us through Jesus Christ will come a little more clear to us. Thank you for your blessing and your peace and your joy. And thank you also for all the ways that you move in our lives. I ask you to be in these words and in this time and to uh, comfort those who are afflicted and uh, give courage to those who are struggling today. May this weather coming in be uh, a season of uh, refreshing, not of fear but rather a time to rest and recuperate and be ready for a new day. Heavenly Father, thank you for it. Thank you for this day, and I ask you to bless those who are celebrating Valentine's Day today in special ways. Be with us in this day of love. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm excited about this message. I've been working on it for a while and learning a lot of different things, so I'm going to share some things that are really, really cool with you, and uh, I think you're going to like them. Uh, We are talking about today the Feast of Tabernacles. Sometimes that's called the Feast of Booths or Succoth. And it is a very special feast. It is one of the three mandated feasts that the males had to go to in time of Christ to the temple. and, And that all Jewish people are supposed to celebrate during the year. And this is one of those that comes in a specific time of the year, a specific reason for it. And the meaning for it has several different implications for us. Now, there are seven feasts in the Bible that are prescribed. Four of them have been fulfilled. Three have not. This is one of the three, and I mean by that prophetically fulfilled. This is one of those that has prophetic uh, intonations to it. It's going to give you some ideas about what Jesus came to do. But, and we'll get to that today. And then next week when we finish it up, you're going to see some visual aspects of this, of how this worked. It's really awesome to see the visuals come to play and how they did it back then. I've got some things for you to see so you'll be able to kind of connect in with it this morning. But I want to tell you that it came as the third feast in the seventh month of the year. But the seventh month of the year for them was their first month of the new year. So they started out with, in the first day of the month, the Feast of Trumpets announcing the new year. On that day was a great celebration. And then for the next ten days, it was a solemn occasion called the Ten Days of All, where they began to think about all the things in their life over the last year and begin to repent and and try to get in God's good favor because on the tenth day of the month was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was when the priests would go in with the blood into the Holy of Holies and secure God's forgiveness for all the past sins and come out and say, God has forgiven us, accepted us, we're going to have another year of favor. This Day of Atonement was the highest holy day for them in their year because if God didn't forgive them, then they weren't going to be able to have God's blessings and favor. And on that particular day, when the priest came out of the temple and said God had accepted the celebration, they'd been fasting for 24 hours, waiting for the answer from God. When the priest came out on that evening from the temple, there would be this massive celebration. And they had what they would call a break fast, where they would eat breakfast foods, at the evening on that Day of Atonement's ending. And so it was a really great celebration. But then something else happened, and this happened on the 15th day, five days after the Day of Atonement, which was the Feast of Tabernacles, or Booths, or Succoth, depending on how you want to call it. They're all three the same thing. And on that 15th day, they have been basking in the mercy of God and His grace for a promised new year, Plus, they finished their fall harvest and brought those harvest fruits to the temple as an offering. Now, in this booth's celebration, there were some specific things that had to happen. First of all, it was mandatory attendance, so they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But they also could have no gloomy faces, no sad countenances. There were no funerals held at this time, even if someone had passed away. There was no expressions of anger supposed to be given, and no disappointment. Can you imagine? All they could have and were allowed was kindness to each other, laughter, singing, celebration, sharing, community, family, friends, honoring strangers, and all of them eating and drinking and laughing together. It was a time of thankfulness, kind of like our holiday of thanksgiving but this lasted for eight days and they praised god for his harvest and his provision and the bounty that they received from that harvest some of that they brought and shared with others with different kinds of foods coming from different parts of the of uh, where they came from and all of these were reminders of god's goodness and all openly offered and shared what is it all about, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, what they did, no matter, and they still do this, they make little huts like, and they cover it with plants and uh, perishable items like trees and shrubs and bushes on the roof. And when they do that, they go in there and they lived in this little booth sometimes 8 feet by 8 feet sometimes bigger sometimes a little smaller but always a prescribed within a certain parameter size and they go in there and they would eat their meals there and they would pray there and they would praise God there now what was really cool about that was they didn't just sit there all day and go oh praise God and sit in his little booth what they did is they go from booth to booth to booth kind of like a festival which is what they called this, the festival. And they would go from booth to booth to booth with a hundred thousand people there with many thousands of booths. They would go to each booth and celebrate God's goodness with each other. Even if they didn't know each other, they would go into the booth and that whoever owned that booth would offer them something to eat and drink. And then they would sit there and celebrate the goodness of God. On the walls of the booths, they had the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses... Aaron uh, and King David all on the walls to remind them of all the lineage and history and they would celebrate that God brought them. But the booth had an even greater significance and and here I'll share with you at at this understanding of theirs how, how it relevates to us and is relevant for you and me. When they left Egypt they wandered for 40 years and they lived in little tents like booths and so when they were going in the promised land god said i want you to every year on this day on on this month celebrate for eight days that you were provided by my hand through the wilderness wanderings through miracles and great ways and that i the lord made provision for you and so these booths were reminders that they were having to tabernacle, if you will, in a little tent in a wilderness, and God was with them throughout the whole period. But what it meant for them was that they were no longer in bondage in Egypt. Their situation wasn't a permanent dwelling, it wasn't a final home, but God was with them and moving them forward to where they were going. So that's what the booths were about, is to remind them of the wilderness wandering and what the nation went through before they ever entered God's promise. I think that's pretty cool. And and the feast uh, that you have there and the festival is all about celebrating the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, God's dominion, God's provision. And one of the things they do at the end of the Feast of Booths is they remind themselves that one day God's kingdom and dominion will be eternal and forever, and Messiah will usher that in. And so that's what they do at the end of the eighth day on the great day of the feast, which we'll get to in a minute. But let me share with you a little bit more about the feast at the time of Christ. If you look at old drawings of the temple, you'll see a square building inside this large area a courtyard area that's about I would say one quarter of a mile by one quarter of a mile square now if you see these uh, reproductions and things like that you probably overlook something but there's these columns all the way throughout but they're not supporting anything And those columns it's like why are they there well they built these columns that were 15 feet tall with little bowls on the top of the column and they would put oil that could burn into those bowls. And on certain occasions, they would light that oil in all these columns. And so the square where the temple was in, even at night, would be lit like it was daytime because of all these columns with burning oil well one of the things they did during the feast of tabernacles is they lit those and they were um, burning brightly and so if you had a a view of the city of jerusalem from the mount of olives which you look down across the Kidron valley and up through the eastern gate you can see the temple mount and where all these would have been If you look from the Mount of Olives down into where this was happening, it looked like the place was on fire. It was so bright and so many columns of flames coming out. It looked like there was a fire burning there in the city of Jerusalem. Now that's that's amazing though, but what also was happening is people are celebrating. They're happy. They're singing. They're singing. They're praising God. There's no sadness, not allowed to have it. But they're thanking God for his provision. And people throughout the place are just dancing and making merry before God. When they had this feast and this celebration, and everybody doing this, the priests were the ones who were leading some of the procession and the singing and showing them how to do that and every day during the feast they would take a picture I don't know if it looks like this one but this one's representative of a of a water pot and they would take this down to the pool of Siloam one of these and they would take it and fill it and bring it back to the temple and then they would pour the water onto the altar in the temple And that water would go across that altar as a celebration of the water of life, symbolizing God's Spirit. But they also did something else. They took another pitcher, about this size, and they brought a pitcher of wine. Now their wine was red. And they poured that on the altar. And so the water and the wine would run out next to each other on the altar and down to the ground. So you had the pitcher and you had the wine. Know what I mean? It looks a little bit to me like when the soldier pierced Jesus' side that the water and the blood flowed out. So it could be reminiscent of people who saw that. Of the Feast of Tabernacles, which for eight days that happened on the altar as they watched the priests do that but but there was something else going on too, because this wasn't just a feast of celebration of harvest. what they were praying to God for was his provision for the new year and so after the fall harvest, some stuff has to happen in the agricultural season for the next year to have crops and to grow. And the main thing that they need God to do is provide rain. Yeah, you may not know this, but Israel is mostly desert around Jerusalem. And when we were there a few years ago, it rained nearly every day. And they said, this is unheard of. Very strange. But water was flowing in the Pool of Siloam and Bethesda. There were streams in the desert and flowers they hadn't seen bloom in years because water is a source of life for them. And so they're praying for water from God's provision and rain to come. And if God would do that, then they would have the new harvest. So this was thanking God in a desert now for the rainy season in the desert. Because without water, you can't have life, and so they're celebrating with the water from the pool of Siloam, the water, and with the columns burning, they had other things happening. Now, maybe you've seen a menorah; it's the seven candlesticks on a uh, on a, 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 a ornate piece that holds the seven candlesticks, and when you see that, you'll see those as it's a Jewish reminder of uh, the seven promises and provision of god the number seven is holy and so when you see that you might think well that's awesome but during the feast of tabernacles every booth was supposed to have candles lit and the priests were lighting candles all across the walls of the temple and on the columns and on the top of the columns where the fire was burning so this was a festival of light as well and so candles were lit and uh, displayed throughout the feast let me tell you how important that is because not like us they didn't have electricity there was no way to see without something that was burning in the night and it had to be a fire some sort of form of light if you don't know what I mean by that what I mean is once it gets dark there there is no illumination to see anything. There's no street lights. There's no city lights. There's no lamps. There's none of that. And so the light that was burning during this time helped them to see at night when normally the city was dark. You go, well, that's, 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 that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Well, let me point you toward one of the verses in Scripture that talks about that and I think you'll appreciate that in Zechariah 14 it talks about the Feast of Tabernacles it says it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light the lights will diminish it shall be one day which is known to the Lord neither day or night but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light at evening time it will be light and in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. And both summer and winter shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be that the Lord is one and His name is one. So there will come a time at evening it will still be light. And that's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. And as a part of that feast, which we'll share a little bit more next week about this they would read out of the Psalms 113 through 118 and one of the things that it said is that it says I will praise you for you've answered me and have become my salvation now God is our salvation and they believe that for them too but listen to what it says in Psalm 118 the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the Lord's doing it's marvelous in our eyes This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I've heard that from the New Testament too. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and He's given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords of the horn of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. That's a psalm they read, and Jesus even says that he fulfills that chief cornerstone. On the last day of the feast, on the great day of the feast, that's what it says in verse 37. Jesus stood up on that day and said something at that particular time what was happening around him as jesus stood in that quarter mile area in the temple court area uh the temple what do you want to call it the walls that are around where the temple is he was in there near one of those porticles and columns where the light was burning the priests had gone down to the pool of Siloam, and they had a procession every day to do this i didn't mention this when they carried that water pitcher They would bring it up and bring it to the altar walk around the altar one time and pour it. On the last day, they would go around the altar seven times before they poured it on to the altar and the wine and all the sacrifices that they've done. We'll talk about those sacrifices next week. It's incredible what this all means. And so the priests were in the process of bringing that water up from the pool of slowman water was such a commodity that people would actually go down to that pool and drink it directly out of the pool because it was such a rare commodity to have water that was fresh and they were bringing this water to the temple and they were shouting out Psalm 118 about God providing water and, and living water out of Isaiah. They're quoting these verses, and Jesus shouts out in a loud voice, and the crowd grows quiet. And this is what he says If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The whole symbolic moment is about God providing later for a drink and water for provision and harvest, which that water also meant God's spirit. And they said, one day, here not long, God will provide. And Jesus says, if you're thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Your life, according to what they thought, and the provision of God was in the future, rain and water. But Jesus says, your life isn't ahead, it's right now it's in me he says if you're thirsty for something more that gives life come to me and i will give you that and all around him people are happy celebrating and this is and they're celebrating the redemption of god that they're no longer in bondage to egypt that god has set them free and Jesus says, you think this is a party? <laughs> are you ready to really party? Are you ready to party for real? Or are you just going to do this symbolic stuff? Because here I am, the source of the party. We can really celebrate what God has done as I'm standing in your midst of fulfillment of everything you've come to this feast to celebrate. You see, the best party is the redemption of the Messiah that they're asking for, which stands in front of them. When Jesus came, as this whole feast did, it announced the kingdom of God as a celebration. And Jesus, when he came, said, The kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe the gospel. For the previous ten days, five days before that feast, they've been repenting. And praying for God's mercy and grace. And here Jesus says, I'm right here. Let's get the party started. Repent and start the party of leaving your bondage to all the fake stuff of life and the garbage that's around. No going back to the stuff that doesn't make you joyful, the stuff that doesn't bring you peace. Let's get that party started. He wants to know the same thing that God is asking us today. Are you ready to party? The party starts when you let go of the junk and the pain and the things that's in the past. And what we do in that moment is we say this with them. And I think you'll agree. The light has come and it's been lit in my heart that I am set free from the bondage of everything that's held me back from the grace of God. And now this living Christ who is alive today has said that I can truly be at peace in my heart and celebrate every day the redemption and the freedom that God has offered me. All I have to do is repent and believe in Him. That He truly is the one who came to do that. Once that happens, in that moment, your life is transformed. And you can celebrate the goodness of God washing away all the sin and staying and setting you free. If that's not a reason to celebrate, I don't know what is. But I'll tell you this. I like it and I think you will too if you allow Jesus Christ to fulfill the living water of the Holy Spirit through you and the light of God in you in this moment in this time and in this place that is my prayer for you would you pray with me Heavenly Father I thank you for your word and your promise and all the things that you said you would do in the name of Jesus Christ fulfilling through the feasts, through every prophecy, through things simple as water, through light, through a fire, Heavenly Father. All those things they were looking to, they were thinking they were just symbols, but Heavenly Father, the cross is more than just a symbol. Water is more than just a symbol. The light of a candle or a fire is more than just a symbol. For us who believe and have embraced Jesus Christ, It is a reason to celebrate the freedom we found in him. Freedom from sin, from brokenness, from fear, from failure, from resentments, and the brokenness this world has thrown at us. Heavenly Father, it is through the grace of Jesus Christ we become one in you and one with each other. So I'm asking you to draw us as surely as a thirsty soul seeks water to drink. Heavenly Father, may we find that water in Jesus Christ today. Amen. Let me share this with you. This light represents the light of Christ. But this light, this candle, is not the light of Christ. The light of Christ lives in anyone who believes in him. And so as I extinguish this candle, I encourage you to go forth and be the light of God, celebrating what God's done for you. Maybe in the fall, we'll build some booths and we can hang out. Who knows? But let's start the party today. Let's not wait. May God bless.